Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Thanks for sharing all that, Brian, this morning. And listen, we want to we want to be as aware as we can of things happening with our neighbors and uh, continue to work, do that work of like building some of those relationships. And uh, man, I would love for that, that neighborhood to just know us as her, their praying friends, right? That'd be an okay way for our reputation in the community. Over the next few weeks, I want to call you back to some of the old stories. Old stories that you learned back when you were with Miss Timmy in Children's Church. Some of the stories that you've known for a long while. Because I want to talk about the mission of God. And I would want you to know that in order to deepen your understanding of the mission of God, sometimes it's not about learning that verse that you've never seen before or seeing that old, a new story that, that you've never heard before from the scriptures. Sometimes it's, it's just as simple as thinking about some of those old stories that you've known from the way back when. The story of Joseph is one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture. It's a beautiful story that has all of these different layers that can, can be held even by people that don't necessarily know a lot about faith. But it doesn't take a lot to remind them of something of like the story of Joseph and that amazing Technicolor dream code or whatever it is. Joseph's story begins a few generations before him. And if we think about the way it's set into the context of Genesis, Joseph starts off like way before he's just the, before he's even on the scene. His great grandfather, and Carter, I love what you had to say about like uh, weaving our relationships. Sometimes we're known as the people that we're related to, right? And before we even know about Joseph, we meet his great granddad uh, on the scene, a guy by the name of Abraham. And Abraham is called out. Uh, called out from uh, the rest of the world. And he's given a promise. God says to Abraham in the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And that story, and Abraham comes to understand more and more and have more glimpses revealed to him about how God is promising to take him and make him a people of many different nations. He just have great grandkids all over the place, right? And God gives that promise to Abraham and says, I'm going to bless your descendants. It sets the stage for what happens in Joseph's life. Because Joseph's life, is a story about the crisis of whether that blessing is really going to come true or not. It's about whether you can really believe that God will bring about blessing. Joseph's life, uh, as he's born, he has 11 brothers. And in these brothers, he didn't get along. It doesn't seem like with any of them. There's one that's a, you got a little baby brother, Benjamin. 
that uh, he's going to have a special relationship with. But Joseph's, Joseph has all of these brothers. So most of them are half, yes, 10 of them are half brothers, right? Uh, and those, those other half brothers of his have spite towards him because they think his mom was the favorite of his father's wives. It's true. There's all kinds of family conflict and tension even before Joseph is finally born. When they settle in the land of Canaan, Joseph has a vision. Actually, a pair of dreams, right? And in one of those dreams, he sees this sheaf of wheat out in a field, and all these other sheaves are around it, okay? And what he sees is those, those other big bundles of grain fall down in front of the one that he knows represents him, and they all fall down and they worship it, right? They'll fall down, bow down. It's kind of a corny dream. Yeah. I love this church. It's followed by another one where he sees it. He has a dream, and in this dream, the there are these stars in the heavens, and suddenly. And I don't know how this, you know, this is like a Salvador Dali painting, right? Like, uh, I don't know what kind of surreal vision this is, but somehow the star that he knows represents him, right? Like all these other, these, star, these other stars that represent his brothers, and even the sun and the moon, they like bow down to honor him. Joseph grows up with this vision. He shares it with his brothers. They don't seem to appreciate it. <coughs> Even his father, when he hears the story of these dreams, asks questions about it. Like, man, son, that doesn't make any sense. And don't be talking about that anymore, right? Don't be, don't be bringing that kind of stuff up. Like, you know, whether you're right. There are certain times I have conversations with, with, with my kids, and I'm like, listen, you might be right, but it also might be time for you to shut up, Right? Joseph has this vision, and it's these two dreams comprise this greater vision in his life of blessing, right? Like that God is going to honor him. He's going to be blessed. But that blessing is deferred in the story. The story goes like this, that Joseph's brothers find, you know, they, have, they, they see him as kind of representing um, all the things that they can't receive themselves. And they see him as being a threat to the, 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 the love that they could have had for their father, their favoritism. Joseph's dad, father gives him this coat, this fancy, ornate coat. And in, to the brothers, it kind of represents how he is the favorite child. And he's the one that has, seems to be in line for everything. And it may be that Joseph thought that's what it represented his own self. Joseph, at one point, somehow gets out of doing chores, favorite child, right? And he's sent by his father to go see his brothers who were out in the field. And they're not really children at this point. These are <coughs> these are grown men. He goes out to see them. He goes out to see them in the field. And before he's even there, they see him coming. And they, knowing about these visions, these dreams, they say, here comes that dreamer, 
and they conspire against him. And they decide that they're going to kill him. And they decide that this is going to be the end of Joseph's great dream. But a couple of brothers aren't on board with that plan. They think killing him is too harsh. And so they decide to let him off easy by throwing him down a well and then to, cast him, then to sell him into slavery. Which doesn't seem like the easy end of the stick to me. Eventually what happens is Joseph is sold to a band of roaming merchants, Midianites. And he's sold down and he goes down to Egypt, right? What good is the vision then? What good is great-granddad's old promise then? Where is that faint echo that's rolled now through a couple of generations and sounds only weak? You will be blessed. Could Joseph still hear that echo? The echo of the promise while chained to a Midianite caravan? Can he hear the echo of God's promised blessing while enslaved? Finally, Joseph makes it and his caravan goes to Egypt and he's sold off there just like any other goods on the back of the cart. He's given to a man named Potiphar is the, the household that he's in. And Joseph just making the best of the situation as he can. Just works as hard as he can, not now enriching himself, but helping Potiphar's house run more smoothly. He serves well. He serves to a place where he finally is bringing wealth not to himself, but to his master. Potiphar's house, it says, uh, it, it, everything prospered while Joseph was in charge. He becomes more, as, as he does more and more for Potiphar and for his house, he takes on more and more responsibility. He takes on more and more of a, of a role in this household. He rises to prominence among Potiphar's servants. And it seems like things are going well. Maybe Joseph is, on, is being elevated in this moment, but things take a dramatic turn. Because, and this is just like the icing on the cake, the text tells us something that seems like it would be good. It tells us that Joseph was a very handsome person. Now that's probably also why his brothers didn't like him. But it's why Potiphar's wife did. And so she sees an appealing, beautiful possession. That she believes she is free to use as she wishes. And so right at this moment where it seemed like Joseph was rising from the ashes... He is assaulted 
and Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, <laughs> seeks to sleep with him. And he resists. And he tries to get away. And yet, she's able to grab his coat. People are always taking Joseph's clothes, it seems like, in the story. He gets away, but she's left hold holding the cloak. And in that story... Um, she finally, and she accuses, she says, hey, that slave, that slave over there tried to take the better of me. She accuses him of the very thing that she was doing as though he were somebody that had any power in the situation. And in the story, um, everybody, she, she actually drums up false witnesses who will accuse him. And she, she gets other people to corroborate her story and says, you know, he was coming for me, but then I cried out. <coughs> when I did that, he ran away. And then she makes this accusation to her husband. And he is, of course, he's infuriated in this story. So he has Joseph thrown into prison. Joseph in prison hears lots of things, right? He hears lots of stories. He hears lots of things. I, I, there's even a place where uh, he is the person to whom this these two people tell about their dreams. There's a people that worked in the royal house of Pharaoh. There's a, a cupbearer <coughs> and a baker who worked in the royal house of Pharaoh there in Egypt. And they tell Joseph their dreams. I wonder if Joseph could still remember his own. Even as he hears a promise and a curse in the stories of the baker and the cupbearer, I wonder if he can hear his own promise still in that place. How faint the echo of a promised blessing given four generations ago, how faint the echo had to be in the prison of Egypt, right? Can he still recall what the echo of that blessing sounded like? Even as he heard these visions that were given to other people. Joseph is rising in prominence, even there in the jail, whatever that means. When he interprets these stories and they make a promise to him, and he, he, he tells, he tells the, the one, he tells, uh, tells the cub bear, hey, when you are raised back in Pharaoh's house, this is going to happen. It's a promise of blessing, right? When you're raised back into your, into your, for, your former position, don't forget me. And just a few verses later, it says, but he forgot. How faint the echo must have sounded then, right? How obscure the vision must have been for the blessing that had now been deferred again, for the promise that couldn't be heard in the dark and quiet of a noisy prison. Doesn't sound anything like 
a place of God's presence and blessing. Just the in and out of a hard existence. It's hard to think about what God has said he would do for Joseph in that place. I don't know what was going through his mind, and the text doesn't tell us a lot about what's going on in Joseph's mind in this story. But it's easy for me to supply the words from the Psalms and the prophet and the things that they heard long, uh, in, in other parts of Israel's story, where they often come back to these places where it seems like they are without blessing, and they cry out to God with a common refrain, How long, O Lord? And surely that's Joseph's song too, right? You have given me a promise. You have given me a vision. And it's not coming true. And it seems impossible. How long? How long, O oh Lord? And if you listen, you'll hear that song all over the place. That song is being sung all through the prisons in Peru where Katie goes and shares with the women there, right? If there's any memory of a promise of God's blessing, I bet it's kind of hard to hear until somebody comes and says, God is still present. Surely, surely the song in that place is still saying, how long, how long, how long? Chapter after chapter of Joseph's story drags on. And just in the moment where it seems like things are being made right, there's another dark twist, and it seems like he must again sing up the song. It's another verse, but the chorus is the same. How long? How long? How long? There's a billion verses to that song written all over our world, and there are millions of them around even in our city, right? In the neighborhood where modesty's mom grieves. How long, O Lord? The echo that rings out every time there's a gunshot in our city is how long? How long? How long? If it can get quiet enough even in this place, even in these walls, I bet you can hear the echo even here. Where some of us, knowing grief and struggle and pain, cry out, maybe without opening our mouths. How long? How long? Have mercy. How long? I don't know how faint the echo may have been in this darkest day of Joseph's life. The dark moment just before the dawn. I wonder if he could still remember his own visions. I wonder if he even had a faint memory of what had been shared 
to Abram so long ago. I will bless you. As the story progresses, eventually somebody in power has a dream too and a problem that they can't solve until they reach down low into the prisons. Joseph is remembered. And so much good often begins in our lives when somebody remembers us. There may be somebody today here that needs to be remembered. There may be somebody in your life that you need to remember a little bit too. In Joseph's story, when he is remembered, things start to reverse. <clears throat> Joseph is given a chance to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and the dream basically means this. It means that there, it's another corny dream. I'm not going to make you do that whole thing again. But Pharaoh has a dream in which there, is going to, there are going to be seven good years, seven years of plenty and abundance where the fields of Egypt are going to produce all kinds of grain, much more than they need, much more than they could use. But that that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. Seven years of famine are going to come after this. Pharaoh is amazed when he hears the details of his dream re retold and interpreted by Joseph. And he says, where could I find somebody with this kind of wisdom who could know how to help all this work? And so he raises Joseph up. He brings Joseph out of the prison and says, you're going to be my second in command, right? You're going to be in charge of everything and nobody above will be above you in all the land of Egypt. And there it is, out of nowhere. It's a miracle. And there's an answer to the story of how long. How long, O oh Lord, until I am blessed? Well, until Pharaoh is given a dream, until his... <coughs> how long? Until he's given a dream and until he's, you, Joseph is raised up. And this is the moment. Joseph is given a new coat. He's given a royal robe and he's paraded around the city. And we're just hoping. I bet, man, I bet he's zipped up that thing tight. Joseph had too many coats taken off already. This is a story about the work of God. About how God, even in those dark places, in the quiet places, where the dream can't be remembered where the vision seems most obscure and where it seems like the echo of the promise is most faint. It's a story of how somehow all that keeps rolling back around and God does what God said. But this is also a story with a missional twist because it turns out that it wasn't just Joseph who was crying out for help. What makes this story even more remarkable to me 
is that it's not just a question about whether God would keep his promise to bless the descendants of Abraham, but God had made another promise in Genesis 12 as well. He said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And then he says this as well, and I will make you a blessing. I will bless you and then I will make you a blessing. And if we read this story only about how will God make Joseph, how will God bless Joseph, we're missing half of it. The crisis isn't just how will God bless and do things good for Joseph. In chapter 41 of Genesis, a long way after those promises of chapter 12, God tells, or the Genesis tells the story about not just how Joseph is raised to prominence. He lives in that place for seven years. Seven years where he's in charge, where he's the one who's being paraded around, where he's the one who's re receiving all the acclaim. And then seven years after that vision with Pharaoh, something happens. In chapter 41 of Genesis, beginning in verse 53, the text says this, the seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end. And in the, seven, in the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, there was famine in every country. There was famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And since the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The Hebrew there says, for the hunger was strong in all the land of Egypt. Moreover, and hear this last verse, this is verse 57 of Genesis 41. Moreover, all the world came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine became severe throughout the world. What's remarkable to me in this story that turns out not to be just about Joseph, but about how God is at work in the whole world, is that God used Joseph's story to bless and to feed the nations. It's a story that moves us beyond being hashtag blessed to thinking about what it means to be a blessing for somebody else. God's promise to Abraham is through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And I don't know how faint that echo had grown through all the story of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and his brothers. But I know that at the end of the Genesis, God blesses the world through Abraham's great-grandson. In the last chapter of Genesis, Joseph's, Jacob has died. Joseph's there with his brothers. In the last, in the last gasp of fraternal conflict, they say, Oh, we're afraid our father has died. Are you now going to take on your long simmering anger on us? And Joseph says to them, 
This is in the very last, very almost the last verses of Genesis. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. And I suppose it could say something like, for don't you see how God has elevated me now in Egypt? Or don't you see how now all the people of the world bow down before me? But instead it says, for God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people, to feed a numerous people as he is doing today. So you intended this evil to be just about doing harm to me, but it turns out to be something that is changing the world. Isn't that remarkable? It's remarkable how God uses this story of one person's suffering and uses it to bring about something incredible for the rest of the world in which he lives, something life-changing, world-changing for the world. Listen, this story is so much about like the mystery of how God works and how sometimes we can't see it and sometimes we don't know. But the twist of this story that's for me about the mission of God is that God somehow uses all those stories for good that goes beyond us. Can we listen not just for the echo of the story that says you will be blessed, but can we also pay attention to that echo of the promise of God that says, I will use you to bless the world. Let's pray together. Oh God, would your spirit awaken among us a sense of how whatever blessings you place in our hands are meant to be blessings for our neighbors. Awaken among us a sense of your light shining in the darkness of our world. And in whatever way you may use us to bring about your work, may we be your servants. In the way of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.